Number 25, Dorothy Tab Buckner, and she is here. It's 2011 in a hearing room inside the Florida State Capitol. Brown walls, fluorescent lights, and at the front of the room is Rick Scott, the governor of Florida. Good morning. There's also Pam Bondi, the attorney general, and there's the agricultural commissioner and the chief financial officer. And standing in front of them is a woman named Dorothy Tab Buckner. She's driven seven hours to get here to tell this board that a long time ago, she made a mistake. I got involved into a bad life with criminal activity. In 1993, Dorothy introduced one woman to another woman who sold drugs. The buyer got caught, and Dorothy pleaded guilty to federal drug charges. She did 18 months in prison, several years probation, and started a new life. Became a home health care worker, opened an ice cream parlor. And I'm here to say that I'm truly sorry. I'm a born-again Christian. I'll be 66 years old on my birthday. Florida is the only state that has hearings like this. And they are part of a process that goes all the way back to the time of Jim Crow. Because in Florida... If you're convicted of a felony, any felony, you lose the right to vote for life, even after you do your time. And the only way to get the right to vote back is to ask the governor and members of his cabinet, sometimes in person. That's what Dorothy's doing. I've went to God and have asked him to forgive me for the things that I have done in my lifetime. I could have done better, but I didn't. But I found out over the years that you got to do what you got to do in order to make things right. And I'm here to to ask forgiveness for what I've done. If Governor Rick Scott is affected by Dorothy's testimony, he doesn't show it. Thank you. Can you talk about uh, your traffic citations? There's really no excuse. Just speeding like five miles or ten miles over the speed. And I've been trying hard not to get any more citations. Then Attorney General Pam Bondi asks a question. This says you voted in 08. Can you tell us about that? Dorothy says she didn't realize at the time that because of her felony, she wasn't allowed to vote. I, I really didn't know, but I did vote. Thank you. Any other questions? And then her hearing ends. After just a few minutes. Well, I appreciate your um, uh, candidness, but at this point, I'm going to deny restoration of civil rights. Okay, thank you. Thank you. When they denied me, I was quiet all the way home. I was like, wow. I expected it too much. I was disappointed. I was hurt. I work, I pay taxes, I'm a good person, I'm not a bad person. Why can't they let me get my right to vote? One of the big stories of this election is who gets to vote and who doesn't. 
Just in the last decade, two dozen states have put restrictions on voting. Stuff like new voter ID laws, use-it-or-lose-it laws, where if you haven't voted in a certain number of years, you're taken off the voter list. Cutting back on early voting and closing polling places. In 2013, the Supreme Court ruled that a big part of the Voting Rights Act is unconstitutional. So the feds don't have as much oversight when it comes to potential civil rights abuses. And this hearing process that you just heard a little bit of in Florida? Voting rights activists say it is part of one of the most effective ways to suppress the vote in the United States right now. Those who support the process say people who commit felonies have to show they deserve the right to vote. Either way, more than one and a half million people in Florida right now cannot vote. Florida, where presidential elections are decided. And this process disproportionately affects black people. About one in five black adults in Florida cannot vote because of felony convictions. So we decided to follow two people through this process. Two people who have worked for years to be able to vote again and who hope to vote in the next election. All of this while there is a measure on the ballot in Florida in the midterm elections that could upend this whole process forever. Support for this NPR podcast and the following message come from Foundation Center's FDO. If you're a nonprofit looking for a grant, use FDO to find your next funder. With FDO, you'll know which foundations are most likely to provide you with the financial resources that you require. New subscribers get 10% off any annual plan at fdo.org NPR using promo code NPR10. Olympic gymnastics doctor Larry Nassar abused hundreds of women and girls for more than 20 years before he was caught. Hear how a team of women brought down a serial sexual predator. Believed, a new podcast from Michigan Radio and NPR. Okay, we are back. And we had two reporters on this story. Check, check, check. Chris Benderev. Check, check, check. And Olivia Natt. Okay, how am I here? You ready? Do you need more levels? I'm good. We're good. Okay, cool. So could you guys just explain how Florida stops people with felony convictions from voting? Yeah. So let's say you commit a felony. A lot of us think of really severe crimes when we think felonies. Robbery, assault, that kind of thing. But a felony could also include buying weed or stealing a $300 TV. And once you're convicted, your right to vote is revoked. And to get that right back, you have to finish your sentencing requirements, wait several years, and then you can ask for your voting rights back. That's what these hearings are. Okay. So how does it work in other states? Every state has its own rules, but the main difference is in most states, you serve your time and then you're eligible to vote. You don't have to ask. It just happens. But in Florida, it's all up to the governor to decide. And different governors have applied the rules in a lot of different ways. Good morning. For example, Charlie Crist, then a Republican. I want to welcome everyone here today. Thank you for being here. He made the process easier for people convicted of nonviolent felonies to get their voting rights back. This is in 2007, right? After he took office. Right. 
I believe in simple human justice and that when somebody has paid their debt to society, it is paid in full. Punishment should never be confused with revenge. But then the current governor... We have amended rules of executive clemency for our consideration. Republican Rick Scott came into office and made the process a lot more restrictive. The proposed changes are intended to emphasize public safety, ensure that all applicants deserve clemency, and demonstrate that they're unlikely to reoffend. He made it, so once people with felony convictions did their time, they then had to wait five to seven years before they could even apply to be eligible to vote. Restoration of civil rights will not be granted automatically for any offenses. Under Christ, more than 150,000 people got back the right to vote in Florida. Under Scott, just over 3,000 did. And he's been in office twice as long. Chris and Olivia, you guys went to one of these hearings. Yeah. It was the last hearing scheduled before the midterm elections. They're held in the basement of the state capitol building. It's kind of a weird vibe. It's like somewhere between court and the DMV. And you have to get there early at 8 a.m. All right. The executive clemency board meeting is now called to order. I want to welcome everyone here today. There was about 100 people on the agenda, and they've all been convicted of a felony at some point in their lives. Lots of drug-related stuff, some domestic violence, check fraud. There was a guy who shot and wounded his bully when he was a teen, and two elderly women who'd gotten involved in a real estate scam. And most of the convictions are decades old. The people are now in their 40s, 50s, 60s. It usually starts with a prayer and the Pledge of Allegiance. And then Governor Scott explains how, unlike a court that makes a legal ruling, this board makes what he calls judgments of conscience. Clemency is an act of mercy. This is not an opportunity to challenge the evidence of a past crime. It is a chance to present the evidence of the steps you have taken to move forward past criminal conduct and the improvements you have made to yourself and your community. There are no written standards for who gets a yes and who gets a no, which can make the whole thing seem really subjective. It's like gut-level decision-making. Rick Scott recognized this in a December 2016 hearing. There's absolutely no standards, so we can make any decisions we want. That lack of standards has made this board controversial. It also led to a recent lawsuit. And I have to say, the whole thing seems almost medieval. People are incredibly nervous. They've got like five minutes to try to convince the state that they've turned their lives around, that they deserve the right to vote. Some people bring friends and spouses, even their children, to testify on their behalf. And a lot of people cry. They keep a box of tissues at the front. I didn't know it was going to be this rough. That's Sheila. She's 54, she's white, and she asked us not to use her last name because it could affect her work. She applied to get her voting rights back 10 years ago, and only now has she been able to appear before the governor. Crazily, that's actually a pretty average wait time. There's a huge backlog, and the state only does four of these hearings a year. Sheila brought this binder full of court records and photos and news articles even her credit score, to show how hard she's tried to follow the rules and change her life since the conviction. 
but she's still really scared. This is a bad idea. I should have just left it be. As the tick-tock gets closer, the more and more I think about just getting on my car and going home. In 1993, Sheila was working for the U.S. Postal Service delivering mail. An indictment against her at the time alleges that she bought or helped someone else buy about $1,500 worth of stuff with a credit card that wasn't hers, a card that was addressed to someone else in the mail. Sheila pleaded guilty to a third-degree felony. No jail time, but three years of probation and about $1,000 restitution. She felt so much shame that for years she told no one about what had happened. And then I started my own company and was able to avoid having to check that box. The box on a job application that asks, have you ever been convicted of a felony? I had not spoken of it, talked about it, buried it under the carpet, in the corner of the litter box. I mean, it just, it was, I was horrified. But Sheila wants her rights back. She says she works hard, pays taxes, contributes to her community. But she feels like she won't be a full citizen until she gets back the right to vote, serve on a jury, and run for public office. So today, she has to stand before the governor and the attorney general at a public hearing, talk about her crime, and hope she can convince them. Number 17. Good morning. Another woman who's scheduled to appear at this hearing and ask for her voting rights back is Marion Skaggs. And our producer, Chris Bendrev, talked to her. Marion is 57. She's black. She grew up north of Miami. Back right after finishing high school, she joined the military. And when she was stationed on a base in New Jersey, she started doing drugs. In particular, crack. And from there, she wound up in this decades-long cycle of being in and out of jail, almost all on drug charges. Then, in 2007, she was in jail when she got the news that her oldest son had been murdered. Because she hadn't finished her sentence, she couldn't even go to his funeral. That was the biggest loss I ever had in my my life, was my son. But that was the catalyst for me to get clean because that was a big loss. Marion says she hasn't used drugs since. When she got out in 2007, she went to school. She was in her early 50s when she attended college for the first time. She eventually got a master's specializing in addiction. She wants to be a counselor. For now, though, she's a supervisor in the housekeeping division of a hotel in Tampa. By all accounts, Marion's tried really hard. And for her, after everything she's been through, it's hard to understand why she doesn't have her civil rights back. At 57 years old, it's embarrassing, she says. And she's reminded of it every election like in 2016. We were in the break room, and, and one of my coworkers was like, who did you vote for? And I just said, I'm keeping it a secret. And that way I avoided the whole conversation. But she may not need to avoid that conversation again if this hearing goes well and she gets her rights back. After the break, the governor decides if Marion and Sheila can vote. 
Support for this podcast and the following message come from Walmart. Risa Pittman is store manager of a Walmart that uses a mobile robot called Bossa Nova to scan its shelves for missing, mislabeled, and out-of-stock items. It's been a partnership with associates and technology. A lot of associates are really excited to be part of this team because we're able to test the latest technology in retail in Walmart. To learn more about the future of tech at Walmart and to see a video of the Bossa Nova scanner in action, visit walmarttoday.com technology. Hey, this is Jad Abumrad. Conversion therapy is an attempt to change people from gay to straight. This presentation is to demonstrate the therapeutic use to either shock the gay away or pray the gay away. Those who practice homosexuality will not inherit the kingdom of God. No hugging or physical touch between clients. The way we sat. Brief handshakes. Crossed our legs. It was like seeing the word of God. Unerased. Subscribe now in Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen. All right, we're back. So, a majority of people with felony convictions in Florida these days are white. But this process in Florida actually goes all the way back to Jim Crow and keeping Black people from voting. It started after the Civil War, when Southern states had to rewrite their constitutions to allow freed slaves to become citizens. But what they did was pass things known as Black Codes, basically ways to keep freed slaves from really being free. Things like allowing the governor of a state to appoint who was the sheriff or the chief judge in a county, then creating new crimes like vagrancy, allowing these sheriffs to arrest people for these crimes and charge them with felonies. And then deciding that anyone who has committed a felony would lose their voting rights for life. This voting part was actually added to Florida's Constitution in 1868, and it is still there. But remember at the beginning when I said there is a measure in Florida that could upend this entire process? It's a constitutional amendment. It's called Amendment 4, and it is on the ballot in the midterm election. The idea is it would pretty much do away with this process for people with felony convictions to wait, then apply to get their voting rights back, then make their case at one of these hearings. Instead, it would automatically restore voting rights to something like one and a half million people with felony convictions in Florida. People who have done their time and paid their dues. Howard Simon worked for years to get this amendment on the ballot. He heads the ACLU in Florida. And he says the amendment is important in a way that's bigger than Florida. Well, (laughs) a close election in Florida in the year 2000 changed world history, if people remember that. That's one reason it matters. But I think it mainly matters is because this is the unfinished business of the civil rights movement here. This is a moral problem about people in our democracy being denied the right to vote um, for really no good reason. But for now, if you're someone with a felony conviction who wants to vote in the midterm elections in Florida, that hearing that Chris and Olivia went to is your last chance to get your right to vote. So the hearing we went to was about five hours long, and a few different things happened at these hearings. Some people with felony convictions come to ask for full pardons. Others ask for the right to own a firearm. The voting right part happens at the very end. 
If the governor is a no, that's it. And if he's a yes, you've still got to get two other yeses from the board. Sometimes the answer is pretty immediate, but other times they really grill someone. And it seems like the cabinet members can ask pretty much whatever they want. 67 traffic infractions. Why do you have so many traffic tickets? And how about alcoholism? How much do you drink? How long has he been sitting in a church pew? Do you go to church? How long have you been married? Um, three years. Three years. Do you have kids? Yes, sir, five. Five in three years? I have an adopted son. I was previously married, so I have a daughter with her and an adopted son. And then she has... And every once in a while, they'll congratulate someone. You've done great, by the way. You were a group of thugs when you were kids, and you've totally turned your life around. Congratulations. Thank you so much. I love seeing that. Congratulations. Okay, so Olivia, you're sitting in this hearing room... You're watching all this happen, and you're with Sheila. How's she doing at this point? She is not doing great. She's having a really hard time controlling her nerves. She's shaking a lot. And while we're watching other people make their cases, Sheila's taking notes, writing down who's getting their rights back, who isn't. And then... Number 77 is here. It's her turn. Good afternoon. Hi, good afternoon. Okay, so you you were convicted of uh, embezzling a letter and taking a Discover credit card? Okay. And did you do it? Yes. Sheila had decided that the best thing to do was take full responsibility for the original crime. Then she has to answer questions about a fender bender from 2012. It was no big deal. I said, I'm sorry. I paid for his truck repairs. Um, and Then Rick Scott and Pam Bondi go back to 1994. You, you stole credit cards. One. And I'm not even sure how that came into my possession. Even though her plan was to take responsibility... When they keep asking about it, she gets defensive and tries to explain herself. I, You're a postal worker. I was a postal worker, but I did not remove that letter from the mail that was entrusted to me. Did you use the credit card? Was it not in your, it wasn't in your name? And here's where Sheila tells the board her theory about what happened. She says it was actually someone else who used the credit card. The man she was shopping with that day. She says she thinks he took it from mail that she was supposed to deliver. Um, I'm, I'm pretty convinced that he took it out of my car, out of the vehicle, out of the mail vehicle. She's talking a lot, and it doesn't seem like it's going how she wanted. I left the postal service. He checked my record right now. I was an exemplary employee. And then Pam Bondi says she believes her. She walked up here and admitted her guilt because she knew that's what we wanted to hear, and she didn't want to. You could tell. I, I, I just, I don't know. I just. You can tell Scott's also a yes, but that the two other cabinet members are on the fence. Sheila needs Scott plus two others. And right now, she's only got Bondi. I'll take it all. I did it. I just want it to be a part of my past. And I pled guilty, like I said, because the postal inspector said no matter what, because I was the one entrusted, it's my fault. 
It has taken Sheila 10 years to get to this moment. It feels like everyone in the room is leaning forward, waiting for the governor to say something. Okay, I move to Grant. Agree. Agree. Good luck. Thank you. I appreciate that. Thank you very much. As she walks back to her seat, people give her high fives. Then, back the way we came, Sheila and I walk out. So I'm still inside the hearing room, waiting for Marion's case to come up. And the thing is, Marion is not here. She says she only got the call to appear five days before the hearing. The state says that they sent a letter to her earlier, but Marion didn't get it. She thinks it went to an old address. Either way, she couldn't get off work to make the long drive from Tampa to be here. So now the clemency board meeting is almost over. It's been more than four and a half hours since it started. And Marion is one of the last names to be called. And by the way, in the hearing, they call her Mary Catherine. Number 83, Mary Catherine Skaggs is not here. She indicated that she had not received her notifications until uh, just recently, but indicated to go ahead with your decision today. I deny Number 84, Charles Todd Sprague is It's kind of all over before it even starts. I did not edit that tape at all. Sometimes you don't know why the board has made its decision. Was it because she wasn't there? It is true that most of the no-shows today didn't get their rights restored, but there were exceptions, no-shows who got them. Why did those people get it? The board doesn't have to give a reason. And I should say, so many people don't even make it as far as Marion did, even if they really want to vote. If you want your rights back, you are responsible for navigating the process on your own. There are filing fees and original documents to find, and then years of waiting, intensive background checks and interviews. It can feel impossible when you factor in the backlog of 10,000 people. And Sheila was skeptical of the process before she ever went through it. But then, after seeing just how complicated and arbitrary it was, even for someone who could afford to take the day off and drive to Tallahassee and rent a hotel room, then she really thought it was unfair. You know, I'm I'm a white chick, and I have a fairly comfortable lifestyle. I work hard for it, really hard. But there are so many people that don't have those advantages and are looked at differently. And it bothers me greatly. The state of Florida does not release data on the race of people who apply to get their voting rights back. But the Palm Beach Post recently did a lot of reporting to find out people's race. They found that under Governor Rick Scott... This process of asking for your rights back does discriminate against black people. For example, three times as many white men got their voting rights back as black men. We should say we asked to talk to Rick Scott, Pam Bondi, and the other two members of the board, who, by the way, are all white, about this and about the rest of our story. 
Spokespeople for Scott, Bondi, and one other member declined. And the fourth member did not get back to us. Scott's spokesperson did tell the Palm Beach Post that race is not a factor in these hearings. And so again, all of this could be undone if Amendment 4 passes in Florida. And to do that, the amendment would need 60% of the vote because it's a constitutional amendment. And Olivia, you have been covering this too. I guess my question is, what are the chances that that many people will vote for this amendment? The polls look good for Amendment 4. Andrew Gillum, he's the Democratic candidate for governor. He's in favor. There's also strong bipartisan support. Both the ACLU and the Koch brothers have backed it. But it's also on the longest Florida ballot in decades. There are 12 other amendments, so just making people aware of it has been a big challenge. Who's against Amendment 4 um, and why? The Speaker of the Florida House is against it. He's a Republican. His press person told me that too many felonies would be included for restoration of voting rights and that people who commit heinous crimes shouldn't be allowed to write the laws. And here's how the Republican candidate for governor, Ron DeSantis, responded when he was asked about Amendment 4 in a recent debate. But you've got to prove that you're getting back with the law. You've got to prove many felons reoffend, And I think it's wrong to automatically give them a free pass to be able to vote without them showing that they can be back in our community. I also think it's very important... Just to be clear, if Amendment 4 passes, people convicted of a felony won't get their right to vote back until they do their time, pay their fines, and finish probation first. And it would also exclude people who were convicted of murder or sexual crimes. And then for somebody like Sheila, right, she already got her right to vote back at her hearing. Is she planning to vote in the upcoming election? Um, She's hoping to. She's still waiting on her voter card. And actually, when she sent in her registration form, she checked independent for the first time in her life. She'd been registered as a Republican before all this. She also told me that if she does get to vote, she will definitely be voting for Amendment 4. And then there's Marion Skaggs. Remember, she couldn't even make it to her hearing. So Marion and I had agreed that after the hearing, I would call her at the hotel where she works and tell her what happened. Hello? Hello, Marion? Yes, this is Marion. Hey, it's Chris uh, Benderev, uh, the reporter we talked to yesterday. Yeah, how are you? Okay, so uh, here's what happened. Um, When they got to your name, a woman uh, came up to a podium and she said that Mary Catherine Skaggs uh, indicated that she received notification just uh, recently and could not be here, but said that you should go ahead with your decision. And uh, honestly, very quickly, the governor said, I deny. So I asked a woman afterward, I just said, if someone was denied, what do they do? And she said, she said that you can wait, uh, you have to wait two years and then you can apply. <laughs> that, that's, that's crazy. I mean, I just don't know, and I'm not being a pessimist about it. I'm just being honest about it. You know, this is, this is what happens. Stuff like that breaks a person's spirit. It's disheartening. 
it really breaks you down, you know? Okay, hold on, Mike. They're calling me over the radio. Okay, Chris, I'll call you back after work, okay? Because I'm almost finished. Okay. Thanks, Marion. Take care. Okay. Bye. We'll hear you, love. And so, of the two people we met and followed through this process, the one who would benefit the most from Amendment 4 is the one who won't be able to vote for it. This episode was reported by Olivia Natt and Chris Benderev and produced by Tom Dreisbach. It was edited by Lisa Pollock and Eric Mennel with help from Karen Grigsby-Bates, Mark Mehmet, and Arnie Seipel. Thanks also to Greg Allen. And big thanks to Natisha June, James Ollins, Ocio Harris, Larry Hopkins, Reggie Garcia, Randy Berg, Myrna Perez, Mark Schlackman, Art Rosenthal, Kimberly Simon, and David Ayala. Our fact checker is Greta Pittenger. Our lawyer is Ashley Messenger. Our theme music is by Colin Wamsgans. Other original music is by Ramtin Arablui. If you are new to this show, welcome. We have a lot of stories in our feed. We have reported on policing and body cams and how these videos are changing the way we think about crime. We spent 24 intense hours in El Salvador to understand why so many people are trying to come to the U.S. We spent several days inside a house where opioid addiction became a public health crisis. And we've done a lot of reporting on the Trump administration. So subscribe to Embedded wherever you are listening right now and scroll back in the feed to listen to other episodes. You can also holler at us on Twitter at NPR Embedded. And you can send us tips or story ideas. Email us at embedded at npr.org. We will be back soon with more. Thanks for listening.